our Bibles out before I get in any more trouble and open to Luke 17. Luke 17, you can find that on page 1206 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Luke chapter 17. Uh, this morning, uh, in the, just the, the great providence of God, we have the opportunity to come on this Thanksgiving weekend and look into uh, this amazing passage of Scripture and not only uh, have a, a conversation about gratitude, but also uh, we see that over the past few weeks we've, uh, we've treaded some hard places. Uh, three weeks ago we looked at the tale of the scales. We talked about how we're no longer under the law, but we're now free in Christ. And so uh, we don't, we're not saved by works. And then we talked about the tale of a time, and we talked about how uh, salvation and saving faith is so much more than just a moment, but it is a, it's an expansive, life-changing uh, moment in our life that leads to uh, a future difference. And then last week we talked about the tale of the tape, and we talked about how simple proximity to Jesus, that, that there are many in the Scripture who are uh, very close to Jesus, spent time with Jesus, were face-to-face with Jesus, were touched personally by Jesus, and who uh, did not uh, repent and were not born again unto a new life. And what you're going to see this morning in this passage of Scripture is all three of those things, either directly or indirectly, uh, in this one simple little story that we see in Luke 17. So you be aware as we go through and you'll see uh, the uh, allusion to all three of those truths. Well, let's pray and then we'll study God's Word and Ask Him to bless and work in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. We thank You, God, for its perfection and, God, for its purpose. And, Lord, thank You that we uh, are here this morning, that we're able to receive this good and perfect gift from You. And now, Lord, I pray that You would take command of my voice and my thoughts. And, Lord, that You would speak through me to people who are created in Your image. Uh, who you love and who you have given this passage of Scripture to. And so, God, we pray that your perfect uh, divine purpose will be done in this place and we're going to give you all the glory and praise. And now, Lord, we ask that you would give us in return ears to hear and hearts to receive. And, God, thank you, for we know that only you can transform a life. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 17. Uh, we talked about this passage of Scripture before. We'll look at it from a little different angle this morning. But a uh, very amazing passage of Scripture. And really, I would say that um, my favorite way to uh, address this passage, passage of Scripture would be the way we did uh, several years ago when we were preaching through uh, the Gospel of Luke and we came to this place and we worked through it because really this is uh, very key to understanding the entire chapter. But... It will stand on its own and it will be instructive, I pray, this morning. So let's begin reading in verse 11. Verse 11, Luke 17. The Bible says, Now it happened as Jesus went to Jerusalem that He passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then as He entered a certain village, there He met ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so when He saw them, He said to them, Go. Show yourself to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned. And with a loud voice, he glorified God. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory of God to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, as we just look at the first couple verses here and set the scene for what's going on, let's make sure that we, we understand uh, the ramifications of leprosy and why this story is in Scripture. I mean, most of us are familiar with leprosy. If we spend any time reading the Bible, we know that uh, oftentimes Jesus encounters people who suffer from leprosy. You probably haven't seen leprosy. I've only seen it one time, and that was when I was in India. 
and uh, really I hope I never see it again. It's one of the most uh, horrific diseases that has ever uh, befallen man. It's uh, one of the oldest recorded diseases that we know of. It was for many, many uh, years, it was uh, sort of... uh, misdiagnosed, uh, misunderstood in many ways. It was thought to be a, a flesh-devouring virus or, or fungus of some sort that would uh, cause people's limbs to rot off. But uh, through the work of a man named Dr. Paul Brand, he worked uh, for many years as a uh, Christian physician missionary in India. And through his work with lepers, he was the one who began to realized that it was, in fact, not a flesh-rotting fungus or virus, but it was, in fact, uh, attacking the nervous system. And what would happen is people would lose their ability to feel pain. And once someone loses their ability to feel pain, they're unable to protect themselves against the, the dangers of just simple life in this world. So, for example, if a person were working with a, a hammer with a wooden handle and got a splinter in their hand and they would just continue to work. They wouldn't feel pain from that. And so it would begin to fester and get infected. And then one thing would lead to another. And then their hand would uh, be very problematic. Or maybe someone would uh, step off a, a curb and, and sprain their ankle. But they wouldn't feel pain from the sprained ankle. So they would just continue to walk as usual on that ankle. And it would continue to cause problems. And it would get worse and worse. And then finally their foot would become infected and terrible things would happen. I mean, if you just think about the simple act of blinking your eyes, and uh, oftentimes with leprosy, one of the things that would happen is a leper would lose their ability to blink. They lose that sensation, that need to have to blink. And so uh, it would begin to dry out their eyes and it would cause uh, them to eventually go blind. And so it was a horrible disease. It was horrible for so many reasons. Uh, It was horrible not only because of the physical affliction that it would uh, cause, but it was also horrible because of the social affliction that it would cause. You, You notice in the Scripture, it says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. He goes out into this certain village. He's out in the wilderness. He's out away from the mainstream. And he encounters these ten men. And the Bible says that they're afar off. The reason they're afar off is because they're lepers, hence the leper colonies. They weren't allowed to be around uh, other people. They were only allowed to be around other lepers. They had to live on the, the, the outskirts of uh, towns and villages. They were complete outcasts. They were considered unclean. They, they couldn't go into the uh, uh, temple and worship. They were uh, alienated from their family, from their friends, from everything that they had ever known. So uh, their condition was really, in a word, hopeless. It's, re- it's really the only way to sum up the struggle that they faced. It was a terrible, terrible affliction. And so here they are out, uh, separated from everyone, out in the uh, wilderness, just with themselves. And, and really, if you think about it, one of the most horrific parts about trying to imagine what they must have endured on a regular basis is that they, uh, they knew what they had lost. You know, you're not born with leprosy. So I don't know the ages of these ten people, but I can, I can tell you this, that there was, they all remember a time when they didn't have leprosy. So they, they knew what it was like to experience uh, life and, and togetherness. They knew, they knew what it was like to, to hug and to touch and, and to, to love and to be loved. They knew all of those things. They had experienced all of that in their past. And now they were relegated to observing from a distance everyone else living out what they had once known. And they had no choice but to, to live this out as they slowly died day by day by day. So really it was, To me, far worse than being born blind and not ever knowing what it was like to see or far worse than just getting run over by a truck and being done and over with. But you're stuck. You're stuck in this horrible uh, intermediate place where all you really can do is suffer and and all you can do is, is watch the world pass you by and go on without you and you are completely alienated. From, from everything that you would know and everything that you would, would love. It's the worst possible situation. And it teaches us that is, we need to understand how bad this was in order to understand 
the truth about gratitude. Because really, this isn't a story about leprosy. It's a story about gratitude. It's a story about the gospel. And you notice some things in here about gratitude that will be instructive to our hearts as we consider where we are this morning with our relationship with Christ and with regard to gratitude. The first thing we'll see is that gratitude begins with a choice. Gratitude is not automatic. It doesn't just happen, even with God, even with... uh, uh, even in our response to something that God's done. We're not just automatically grateful for that. Notice that in verse 14, that it's as they go, as they went, they are cleansed. Now, they didn't ask Jesus for healing. They didn't say, Jesus, heal us. Now, that's what they needed, and ultimately that's what they wanted, but they didn't ask for that. They're so beat down, and they're so... Uh, desperate and so just uh, just low in their condition that they ask for mercy. It's mercy that they want. We don't know what they mean by mercy, but mercy from maybe from the suffering. Mercy to just put me out of my misery. Mercy in some way. They ask for mercy. They don't say heal us. They say just mercy. Give us mercy. And so... Jesus then tells them to go and show themselves to the priests. Now, that made perfect sense to everyone in the first century who would read that because they would know that the priest would be the one who would determine whether a person was clean or unclean. And so if you had been, uh, let's say that you got some scabs somewhere on your body that looked like it might be leprosy, then the priest would declare you unclean. And then in order for it to be uh, declared not leprosy for you to be allowed back into uh, uh, proximity of other people, the priest would be the one who would make that determination. And so for these men, when Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest, that means uh, that the priest will make a determination. Now, they don't understand exactly uh, why they're covered with leprosy. I mean, I don't know how far gone these ten people are. I don't know if some of them are blind, if they're limping, crawling. I don't know. All we know is what the Bible tells us. They have leprosy. They ask for mercy. Jesus responds to them and says, go show yourself to the priest. All ten of them leave and go to show themselves to the priests. I can remember uh, reading this scripture with my children when they were young. And we would talk about this scripture and talk about the lesson here. And it, because it's a very, uh, it's an easy passage of scripture for a child to wrap their mind around with, a, with regard to just being grateful and, and thankful. It's very instructive. They ask for mercy. He sends them. But notice, as they went, they're cleansed. Now, I think there's some important things to, to notice about as they went. You need to notice that there's no bargaining. You see, so oftentimes what we do is Jesus will uh, command us to do something, and then we want to make a bargain with God. We want to say, well, I'll do this, God, if you'll do this. Or if you do this, then I'll do this. And God doesn't work that way. I mean, all of us who have tried that know that that's an utter and complete waste of time. It's not going to work. God's not going to be, his arm's not going to be twisted. There's no bargaining. He simply says, go do this. When we do what God has commanded us to do, then we begin to see God do what only he can do. And that's what we see here. They respond. And as they're going, they are cleansed. Now, just think for a moment about these 10 individuals. Spiritually speaking, First of all, in, in this time, it was wrongly thought that if you had a disease or a, some kind of disability or something of that effect, some physical deficiency, it was wrongly thought that that was because of sin. That was God's punishment on you for some disobedience of you or your family. And there was no known way to reverse Leprosy. There was no vaccine or cure. And so once you were sure you had leprosy, you were basically just uh, condemned to die a slow and painful death. And yet, without any uh, hesitation, their, their desperation is so great, they ask for mercy and they just respond by going to the priest. Well, what does that tell us about them? 
It tells us something about them that, first of all, they asked Jesus for mercy. In other words, they had some sense of who Jesus is. They had some sense of his capacity to help them or they wouldn't have asked him for mercy. Certainly people passed by there and they didn't ask everyone for mercy because everyone couldn't. And even if they did ask everyone for mercy, maybe they didn't know anything about Jesus. Maybe they just thought maybe by mercy they meant, would you give us a sandwich or give us a loaf of bread or something to eat? We take it a step further and we know that they must have had some sense of who Jesus was because when he said, go show yourself to the priest, they did that. Just think about it. Oh, I mean, if they wouldn't have had some inclination at the potential, the, the, the possibility that Jesus could do something remarkable in their lives, why would they have gone to show themselves to the priest? They're covered with leprosy. And yet they go. So we, we know a little bit about uh, what they understood about who this rabbi was who was walking through this sort of uh, wilderness area. And so we see this choice. They make a conscious choice. They ask Jesus for mercy. They respond to what Jesus says, not knowing what's going to happen, how this is going to go down. They just respond. That's very instructive. The second thing we see about gratitude is not only is it a choice, but it's meant to be expressed. In other words, gratitude is something that starts internally, but always at some point becomes external. It doesn't remain internal. Now, there's some painful but obvious ways that I can illustrate this. Every man in the room knows what happens when you're grateful in your heart, but you don't express your gratitude. That train comes off the tracks. It does. I mean, there's only so long that our wives are going to serve us and care for us and, and be a blessing to us. And we can be as grateful as you can humanly possibly be inside your heart. But what happens if you don't express that? In other words, non-expressed gratitude is always perceived or received as ingratitude, is it not? Yes. Silence doesn't work with gratitude. It doesn't work with our kids. You know, maybe maybe your, your, your teenager is very grateful in their heart, but it doesn't really do you any good, does it? It doesn't, it doesn't make any difference in the relationship unless it is expressed because that's what gratitude is meant to be. It's meant to be expressed. It's, in fact, think about this. How do we even know that nine of these lepers were ungrateful. The only way we know is because one expressed his gratitude. In other words, if all ten of them would have left and no one would have ever come back, we wouldn't be having this conversation, would we? I mean, there's many times in Scripture where Jesus heals somebody and they walk away and that's the last we hear of them. They don't come back. We don't know what happened, right? So if all ten of them just went away, we wouldn't really know. But the way we know is because one expressed his gratitude, which shed light on the ingratitude of the other nine. You see, it's meant to be expressed. Notice in verse 15, the Bible says in one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he returned with a loud voice glorifying God. And he fell down on his face at Jesus's feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Now, this one leper, what separated him from the other nine? What, what made him come back? I would say they all had some level of faith. They all had taken off and started running towards the, or crawling or limping or whatever it was towards the priest. But this one, something was different about this one. Now, this one appears to have faith and gratitude, where the other ones just have some level of faith. I think a lot of people have 
some faith. Certainly, you're here this morning at some level. Your presence here would would communicate that you believe that there's a God. You believe in some sense that, that, that God is real. But that doesn't lead automatically to you living your life grateful to the God who has given you your life. There is a a place, there is a a response to God that leads to a gratitude that that only comes from the transforming power of God through salvation. This this one leper, he was he was remarkably different. The other nine, how could how could they receive so much and and seemingly have such little regard for what Jesus had done. And I think that the reason is for them is the same as the reason is for me and the same as the reason is for you. In other words, what happens to us and I think what happens to them is that they we get hung up on ourselves. In other words, they probably started with all the right intentions. They're running to the, go show themselves to the priest. And as they're going... I don't know if it's just one instantaneous change or as they're running, it's one, then another, then another. But somehow, some way, they all realize they're no longer lepers. Now, once that happens, now it's a whole new ballgame. How do we respond to this, this remarkable turn of events? And what happens is, is that nine of them, I guarantee you, got totally absorbed with themselves. In other words, they started thinking about, wow, look at what has happened. Now, look at my new life and all the things I can go back to doing and all the places I'll go and all the people that I'll, I'll meet and all the, the things that will be restored. And so they got hung up on themselves. And no one can blame them for that. Who wouldn't in the situation that they're in? I think any of us would, and certainly... I think the one who turned back, he thought the same thing. He was overwhelmed by the reality that he was no longer leprous. But what do you think happens when the one turns back? I mean, did you ever notice the, the, how the point of view of the world is so short-sighted? In, in other words... What do you think the other nine thought about the one when he turned back? Can you just imagine what that uh, moment was like? They're going to show themselves to the priests. They realize that they're no longer lepers. The only thing that stands between them and assimilation back into normal life is the priest looking at him and going, well, I don't really know how this happened, but you're no longer a leper. That's the only thing that's... So nothing is going to keep them from getting to that priest. One turns back. And undoubtedly, the other nine were thinking, what are you doing? What, are you crazy? I mean, you, you just got healed of leprosy. There, aren't there people you want to see? Aren't there things you want to do? I mean, listen, why would you go back? That seems utterly ridiculous. Think about it from the perspective of this Samaritan, why does the Bible go to such lengths to tell us that this one was a Samaritan? Clearly, they weren't all Samaritans, but he was. He was not a Jew. He was an outsider. So he really had more risk than anyone else. He was risking everything. He did not know what the consequences of his actions were going to be. He didn't know when he turned around if the leprosy was going to come back. He wasn't really sure about uh, how this whole thing was going to go down. He didn't know maybe if he didn't go to the priest, then he would be disobeying what God had said. And so his leprosy would come back. He, he was risking everything. The nine were playing it safe. It was the one who risked all that he might. He had everything to lose. Everything to lose. And what the other nine missed was that they also, this one, had everything to gain as well. But you see, the other nine, they lived for the moment. That's, that's our downfall. We get caught up in the moment. We get caught up in the here and the now. We get caught up in what we're facing in this very time, or what's right in front of us, what's our current circumstance and our current situation. We don't, we don't have, uh, 
the gratitude that sees the big picture a lot of times, like this Samaritan did. He saw the big picture. You see, he's not, why did, when he turns around, what is motivating him to turn around? Well, I know what's not motivating him. He didn't turn around for self-preservation. That's clear. He didn't turn back and go back to Jesus for what was best for him. That's clear. I mean, he was the one who was putting it all out on the line. And the other nine were probably looking at him like, you are insane. Just like the teenager who decides they're going to live their life for Christ. And they, they look insane to everyone they go to school with. The, the person who, who uh, lives for Christ in the job site goes to work every day. And everyone who works with you, you, they know that you're a believer. And so you're faced with the constant reality of you, you walk into the break room and suddenly the conversation gets quiet. You're, you know, there's this awkwardness whenever people are talking about drinking or going out and, and carousing. Uh, there's this strange sort of, uh, uncomfortable feeling when people are talking about uh, infidelity or sexual promiscuity. Even the simplest conversations become awkward because you haven't seen the, 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 the movies that everyone has seen or read the books that everyone has read. And so you can't really engage in the conversation that everyone's having because it's inappropriate. And so it's it's awkward. And you seem to them like such a uh, a weirdo. Like, what's your deal? I mean, why, why? You know, I mean, listen, you work so hard. You know, five days a week. Some of you in here work six days a week. Sunday is your day. How many times have I heard this? It's my day to sleep in. And you get up and you come to church. And all, all the people that, that live in your neighborhood or that you work with, or maybe that are in your family. They're, they're, they go out on the boat on Sundays. Or they're, they're out camping on the weekends. And, and so you hear all the stories of all these things that you, you don't get to participate in. Because you wake up early and you go to church. It seems kind of ridiculous. And there's moments in time, if you're honest. Just like there are in my life. Where I can be in a setting. And a conversation can, can, can come up. And it... it And I feel really awkward. And you know that feeling too if you live for Christ. And so these nine are undoubtedly, they're looking at this Samaritan who is already, before Jesus ever came up, he was already an outcast among the outcasts. He was already the lowest of the low because of his nationality. And now he's stepping out and doing the unthinkable. And I'm sure that the ridicule and just the... And was he utterly certain of what was going to happen? Well, no. How could he be? But he turned around and he went back. My goodness. What would cause the heart of this Samaritan man, this this leper who had been healed to, to turn back and not just run free off into the distance and just live his life. He saw a bigger picture than the here and now. He knew there was something greater than what these other nine people thought of him. He knew that what mattered most was not their opinion. That there was something more. There was something worth living for that is greater than what we can see with our natural eyes in the moment and time of temptation and struggle and trial. He saw the big picture that so many people miss. You know, if you think about it, if if you only obey God when it makes sense to you, if, if you only, if you only Obey God when you understand why. If you only obey God when it's going to help you or benefit you in some way. I hope you realize this morning you're not obeying God. You're agreeing with Him. In other words, if, if, if there's a condition to your obedience, if God says do this, 
And that immediately goes before the court of your heart. And you begin to decide whether or not you're going to do this based on, does it make sense to you? Is it going to work out for your favor? Is it, in other words, how many times do we in in the confines of our own heart put God on trial and say, God, I know that you've said to do this, but I just don't see how this is going to work out right. Yeah. What difference does it make? Listen, here's an illustration of someone who utterly and completely had no idea. This made no sense to him. He was just obeying God because he was God. In other words, so much of, of what faith is, is defined as today is really not faith at all. Is it determining in your heart whether or not you're going to obey God in some area of your life? That is not... That is not Jesus as Lord. That's Jesus as consultant. That's all that is. That's taking the Bible and saying, well, what is it that will benefit me? This man threw all, he he threw all that he had on the hope that Jesus was God. He risked Everything. You see a picture of the gospel right here in the life of a leper. We don't know his name. We don't, we know very little about him, but you see a picture of the gospel of what true faith is. And it causes us to ask some hard questions. In other words, I think that this text makes us examine our own motivations and, and say, well, now how, how is it that, how is it that you respond to the goodness of God. When, when God's goodness is upon you, in other words, maybe in a time of thanksgiving where you're reflecting on all that you're thankful for and all that God has done in your life, well, how do you respond to that? In other words, is it, is it gratitude for, for, for what He's done and, and gratitude that He's going to keep doing it? Is it only what if he wouldn't have done it? Would, would your heart be grateful if he wouldn't have done that which you're grateful for? In other words, gratitude that is only based on the result is problematic. It's problematic. It's not true faith. It's treating God like he's Santa Claus. You see, kids, listen, if you ever, if you ever just go down to the mall and, and watch what happens. I remember, it's been a long time, but it hasn't been that long. I mean, can you imagine Colton sitting on Santa's lap now, how hilarious that would be? <laughs> Santa. But the point is, you see all these parents with their little kids, right? And mom and dad are so excited because they're going to get a picture of their kid with Santa. And what's the kid doing? He's screaming his head off. He's scared to death of this freaky looking guy with this fuzzy red suit. I mean, it looks like a big overgrown hairy gnome sitting in a throne. And and the kids are screaming. The only reason kids love Santa is because Santa brings gifts. It has nothing to do with Santa. You know what these nine lepers illustrate for us? The Santa Claus principle, the Santa Claus faith. Oh, they were, they they had faith. They were, they had gratitude for what they had received. But that was the extent of their gratitude. And so it causes us to, to examine, well, why do, why do you serve God? I mean, every single week, it seems like I could just stand up here and I could just give illustration after illustration after illustration of the tremendous servitude that goes on in this congregation every single week. I mean, you would think, I was talking to a man who was here for uh, Mr. Richard and Miss Hannah's uh, 50th and uh, wedding anniversary. And I was talking to him, you know, yesterday. And, and he was talking about, you know, this church and talking about all the things that he'd heard about it. What a great church it is. And, you know, to someone on the outside, they must think, you know, wow, pastor, you really have got a handle on this place. I mean, look, at there's all these things. I mean, how do you... I don't do anything. You do it. I mean, the things that are accomplished around here are staggering. You just all last week, day after day, eight days in a row, there's a team of people down there uh, collecting shoe boxes. 
and, and just celebrating, praying over everyone and watching people bring in their shoebox and then gather up in a circle and then being led in prayer that God would, would bless. I mean, it's just astonishing. Yesterday, watching people working in the kitchen and cooking the food and bringing it there just to serve a family in our church to celebrate their 50 years of, of, of uh, being married to one another and the faithfulness of God in their marriage is just amazing. And, and while that's going on, there's people in the sanctuary putting all these decorations up, none of whom I didn't talk to anyone. Never picked up a phone and said, hey, Who's going to decorate the sanctuary? I mean, I, I hate to admit this, but it wasn't on my radar. I'm, I'm focused on this. And the point is, I don't, have, but that's the thing. And so, but why? Some of us in here this morning got to ask, well, why do we serve God? Do we serve God so that he won't get us? Do we serve God out of, out of fear that, that the God in the sky won't crush us because if we don't do what He says, it's going to get bad? Or on the other side, do we serve God because He'll bless us? So we serve Him for what we can get. So it's either, but either way, that's not serving God. That's serving yourself. If you only serve God to protect yourself, or if you only serve God to gain something, then you're serving you. That's not serving God. The leper who returns does so not out of any duty. He has no duty as a Samaritan to return to Jesus. He does only because of God. Only because of Jesus. He turns only because of who God is and what has happened. Because of what's happened drew him to the realization of why this happened, how this happened, and then who this Jesus must be. So the other lepers, they lived for the day. They went on. Those nine, they went on. And I'm sure there was a great celebration at their homes. I'm sure their families wept and were so grateful. I'm sure there was wonderful things. I don't know the rest of the story. But I'm sure it was wonderful. And I'm sure that, that, and I'm sure that they told everyone how they were healed. And they told everyone that Jesus did that. But here's my question. What happened? When trouble came back up in their life in some new way. I want you to think about the difference going forward in the nine versus the one. In the rest of their lives. I mean, obviously, I don't know. I have no way of knowing. But I can think about what I do know and I can look at this and I can come to some conclusions. I mean, clearly... Gratitude is not automatic. It's a choice. You choose. You, you choose to call out for mercy. You choose to, to respond in obedience in, 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 in your desperation. And maybe your motivation is wrong. Maybe your motivation is right. I don't know. But what I want you to see is that the graceful God of the universe heals all ten of them. Fully knowing that nine of them wouldn't come back. But He heals all ten of them. And isn't that our God? Isn't this world filled with people who have been touched by God? They've had an experience with God. They have some level of faith. They've seen God do something. But then once that's over, once they get out of jail, once they get their their problem solved, then off they go. And it's God who from there on out until trouble comes again. And then when trouble comes again, now these nine lepers are, or they're not lepers anymore. That Now they're trying to find, well, I wonder where Jesus is. Wonder where this, this one is that helped us last time. Maybe we can go back and we can get help again. Well, it finally teaches us, thirdly, that gratitude matters to God. And that answers that question. Well, why? Notice what the Bible says in verse 17 and following. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But... Now, there's just nine. Where are they? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And so he says to the one, he says, Arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well, saved. Sozo, the word in the Greek. It's a, it means that he's been healed, not only physically, but spiritually. That everything that was wrong has been made right. And what we see is there's a huge difference between being grateful for what God has done and being grateful for God. 
Those nine were very grateful for what God has done. I don't think for, for, for a second that they ran home and were like, weren't grateful for what had happened. But one was grateful for God. His response illustrated that he was far more grateful for God than he was for what happened because he risked everything for the one who had healed him. And so why does gratitude matter to God? Why is it so important for us to be a people marked by gratitude? Well, I think four reasons at least. Number one, It matters to God. It's important to God because it's what God deserves. God deserves our gratitude. That we cannot in one breath claim to be His children. And all that that entails. We cannot in one breath say that we we now belong to Him. We've been grafted by adoption into His family. We're now heirs of... We're now heirs of something we didn't earn. Of something that we didn't deserve. And then in the same breath, out of the same mouth, think that anything else should be the height of our affections. Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul says to the church at Colossae, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. In other words, that is the source of our gratitude. If God chooses to bless me in any way, that's just lanyard compared to Colossians 1. In other words, everything else is petty in comparison to the reality that my citizenship has been conveyed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the love of His Son. That my sin has been forgiven By the shed blood of His Son sacrificed for me. Anything else that happens, hey, I'm grateful for. I'm glad. But the source of our gratitude has got to be that God and God alone deserves it. Secondly, gratitude is important to God. Because it's God's will for our lives. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians that in everything give, give thanks. Why? Because it's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That in Christ Jesus, God's will is for you and me to live a life of thankfulness. He says we're going to face persecution. He says we're going to be misunderstood. We're going to be ridiculed. People are going to look at us and they're going to think we're weird. He warns us that time and time again in a myriad of different ways that we're going to, our lives are going to seem like Round pegs trying to go in a square hole. That it's just going to be awkward at times. But that's okay. It's His will for our lives that we be people of gratitude because of Christ Jesus and what He's done. Thirdly, it's important to God because gratitude strengthens our faith. It makes us more faithful. It strengthens our faith. You see, gratitude requires certain things. Have you ever thought about this? One thing for sure is that gratitude requires memory. You cannot be grateful without memory. And that's what happened to the nine. The nine weren't weren't considering what was behind them. The nine weren't remembering what had just happened. All the nine could see was what was right in front of them. But gratitude requires memory. You see, gratitude remembers all the deliverances of the past that propel us through the trials of the present. That's how gratitude is birthed in our life, by a remembering of what God has done and who God is. And so the psalmist says in Psalm 103 that we're to bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Forget not all that He's done. That we need to remember the faithfulness of God in yesterday. And that will create in our heart a level of gratitude. You see, because if we get caught up in the here and now, we're going to be ungrateful. We're going to get, we're going to start to lose our way and our faith is going to get diminished. And lastly, I think gratitude is important to God because the opposite is grumbling and grumbling destroys faith. The Bible talks about the destruction of people in Romans chapter 1. 
people who succumb to the ways of this world and to the powers of this world. The Bible says that although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful. Oh, you see, the, Paul in Romans 1, he talks about the obvious presence and nature of God. That how can you look around and not see God in, in all things around you? There He is. How could all of this be on accident? And he's talking about their demise. And he says that they didn't glorify Him as God. They weren't thankful. They weren't thankful. But became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, consider with me. Let's fast forward into the lives of these ten. Let's just imagine for a moment that we could see what the decades ahead held for these ten people. You know, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, talking about the great white throne judgment, that all of those who have rejected the Lordship of Christ, all of those who are not His children, at the end of this life, they will stand before God. The Bible says the great and the small will stand before God and they will face judgment. And there's a very interesting phrase there in Revelation 20. The Bible says that when the wrath of God is unleashed, that the, the, the earth and the sky just roll up. They just fled away. And about these that stand judgment, there was no place found for them. In other words, there was a place found for them before this moment in time. These nine, there was a place found for them and they went home and they lived with their families and they were reunited with their children and they, they celebrated Thanksgivings after that and, and well, not actually Thanksgivings and Christmases after that and birthdays after that and had all these things that so many people have. So many people in this culture have a moment with God and are so exuberant for what God has done, but then they go right back to living their life as if nothing had ever changed. And that's what these nine do. But you see, at some point, this life comes to an end. And the Bible says that when that happens, for those who have rejected God, there's no place found for them. There's, there's no place for them like there's a place for God's children. Because what does the Bible say about the place for those who belong to God? Those who, well, for this one, this Samaritan. The Bible says that in the moment he takes his last breath, there's a place for him at the table, that in the banquet room of heaven, there's a, a chair and there's a, a seating and there's a name tag that says, Joe Leopard, the Samaritan. And while the other nine lived their life without leprosy and experienced the, the, the blessing and benefit that God had bestowed upon them, that comes to an end. But for this one... In this moment right now, what is he doing? Where, what, what is his eternity like? I mean, you think about it. This outcast Samaritan leper. One moment, he is as far alienated as a person could physically, culturally, and spiritually be. And a few moments later... He's kneeling down, touching the feet of God. The one who wasn't allowed to touch anyone was touching God, kneeling at His feet, praising God for what He's done. And that was only the beginning. It was only the beginning. Yes, cleansed of leprosy. Yes, saved and healed spiritually. But think about today. Think about what He's doing and where He is today. And what about these nine? There's no place in God's presence found for them. Does that seem harsh to you? Does that, does that make you feel like you want to push back away from God? Well, before you do, let me remind you of something. He healed all ten. He healed all ten. His arms are open to every person while breath is in your lungs. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, 
no matter how far you feel like you've been, God is there. And, and He has... You're here today and God has blessed you. I don't know you. I don't know your story, but I know God has blessed you. Are you grateful, not for what God has done, but for God? For God. Just grateful for God. Let's stand. Bow our heads. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank You for an illustration of gratitude, Lord. We thank You for a picture of the gospel. Father, we thank You for the transforming power of saving faith. God, we, we're thankful for the encouragement that some of us in here this morning can gain because we're, we're, we're facing persecution. There are some in this room who are being persecuted right now at school or in their own families or at work because of their faith because of their stance for you, Lord. And I, I ask your blessing upon them, that you'd encourage them this morning, that as they see in this passage, Lord, just the reckless abandon and the way in which you reward and the way in which you strengthen and care for those who follow you for you. And Father, I, I thank you that you're a God who, who just lets the rain fall on the just and the unjust, Lord. Thank you for the blessing of just being here this morning and being able to hear about You, Lord, and to, to hear testimonies of, of just regular people who were just plodding through the trials of life and how You intervened and, and just completely transformed them. Thank You for that, God. And Lord, for anyone in this room who this morning stands realizing that, that I, I am grateful for what God has done, but... But I've never expressed my gratitude just for Him. For Him, for the, the One who, who died for me, who, who while I was yet a sinner, hung to slaughter on a cross that I may be conveyed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I know, Lord, that there are questions that go unanswered. I know that there are struggles that are unresolved. And God, thank you for the encouragement. That Lord, faith is about obeying you because it's you. And that we learn over time that you're trustworthy and that you're good and that you never miss any details. But Lord, in the moment, God, I pray for every man, every woman, every teenager in this room who's struggling right now, God, may they see You, the graceful Savior who healed all ten of these men who suffered so horribly. God, may they come to Your open arms. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your great love. Thank You for Your invitation. Now will You do what only You can do. We give You glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.